Thank you, Brother Dustin. I was one of Pastor's quicker introductions. I wasn't quite ready. Amen. I have uh, quite a few scriptures to go through tonight. I have prepared Hayden over there, so he's all set up. Um, I'm going to try not to go too fast through them, but um, uh, it's a lot of Old Testament stuff, so and a lot of familiar stuff, but I, I just thought we would read through, through it. So it's going to be more of a Bible study tonight. Amen? Amen. Ready? All right, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 11 through 13. Uh, before her children were, born, were to be born or would do good or evil, the choice of God was revealed beforehand that this would stand not by works but by him who, who called. For it was said, the elder shall be a servant of the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. Your page is turning still. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 15 through 17. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up, ca causing trouble, and by it many become defiled, that there will be no sexual, immoral, or godless persons like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal, for you know that even afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in your house, Lord. Lord, to hear your word, Lord, and for me to speak it, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you will anoint us both, the hearer and the speaker, Lord, Lord, that we can continue with what was put forth this morning to hear your logos, Lord, Lord, to understand your purpose, Lord. Lord, and to apply it to our own personal life as we can extend that into the body of Christ, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. What would make God hate? Uh, there was a sermon that uh, Rodney preached a few years ago, and by a few years ago, uh, probably like 10 years ago, starting to be a lot more double digits in my memories when it comes to years. What would make God kill? But I'm, I'm going to take another angle. What would make God hate? The going philosophy is that God is obligated to love everyone despite everything, and yet he is not permitted to hate anything or anyone. Yet, we can see throughout the scriptures, the two that I read, and many more examples of God hating. In Psalms 5.5, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who declares lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. If God loves, then certainly God can hate. If God prefers then woe to them who he does not prefer. And that would be the hate part. I think of scriptures like, but woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him that he had not had been born. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Those were quotes by Jesus, the loving God, but who was also capable of hating. Now, I want to, we need to, 
wrap our brains around that God does not do things the way that we do things because we have a carnal mind that's at work. So there is an exploitation of the, of the definition of love. So where God is love, we now turn that into something carnal by our own mind and definition and how we define things. Also, too, with hate. God does not hate the way we hate because he does not think the way that we think. And so when God hates somebody, he is not looking to, like, kill them and do them wrong and kill their whole family and just hate and bitterness and things like that. God does not think that way. It is, but it is a hate nonetheless. It is a rejection of those who despise him. And so I want to look into that tonight on what would make God hate. And so as I think the scriptures that I read are the perfect story uh, or analogy of what we can talk about hate is with Esau. Now, this is a much debated topic about why God would hate Esau. And a lot of uh, scholars that I was reading, to tr- I usually don't read commentary, but I just wanted to know what the going mindset was when it comes to hating. And they would always use this phrase, well, God just loves less. Okay, well, if that's the case, I would hate to be loved less by God. What does that even look like, to be loved less by God? Because if we look at Esau, Esau was loved less by God, and what the picture that shows is that he was completely rejected. And so if you're, they're trying to use the phrase loves less to sort of soften the blow of God's hate, it doesn't seem to work real well when you look in Scripture. God does hate. God does reject. God no longer loves certain people. And so I want to read uh, in Genesis chapter 25. We'll start there. And as I said, I got a lot of scriptures, but I think it's important to go through this. And I'm going to kind of extrapolate things as we read. So in Genesis chapter 25 and starting at verse 21, and we're going to, we're going to be all through this story. So it says in verse 21, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So you can already see a rejection of God here because he's talking about two nations. So he's already rejecting Esau here. Now, we can get into predestination. I think that's probably, I'm going to save that for another sermon. Um, But I don't believe that God created Esau just to reject him. I think we have to take a sample from what Pastor said this morning that God foresaw, thank you, Rodney, foresaw what the decisions that Esau was going to make. And in that, see, we cannot separate God from his omnipotence. God knows. We can't escape that. The problem that we get into is when we think we know and we don't. So it's not for us to delve into what God may or may not know, but we just need to understand that God created the two knowing what Esau would do. And in that, he is already now rejected what Esau will do in the future. If you can kind of grasp that. I know I have a hard time grasping that a little bit sometimes. So Esau was a skillful skillful hunter. Great hunters were often seen as heroic figures in this era. 
And so let's just continue reading. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and, at, and the first came out red. He was a hairy garment all over, and they called his name Esau, and afterwards his brother came out, and he took hold of Esau's heel, and so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, the def- what I just said there, Esau was a skillful hunter, a- and they were seen as manly men, heroic men back then. And so you can kind of see where Isaac would glom on to Esau. This is a man's man. That's the kind of man that, you know, I want to be. That's the kind of man I want taking care of my family because the ability to hunt was looked at as being, being able not only to provide for one's family, but also as an indirect sign of being proficient with weapons, making such a person a more capable warrior than other men. Being that this man can protect the family. This man can provide for the family. That's the kind of man that I want taken over when I'm dead. I'm sure that's probably what Isaac thought here, that this is the one who's going to be capable of continuing this, this line. However, Jacob was an upright man, a peaceful man in some translations, but this is the same phrase used in Job when describing Job, an upright man, an upstanding man. However, he's a tent dweller, not really a man's man. You don't really think of a man's man as being on mom's skirt. You know, you don't really think about that. You know, but Jacob had other things that God desired, that God sought and saw. And so in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 29 uh, and through 34, it says, Now Jacob cooked stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name is, was called Edom. But Jacob said... Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is my birthright to me? And then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau the bread and stew of lentils, and he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. One thing that I think that Jacob had in him that God loved was that Jacob, when the opportunity arose that he can grab hold of that birthright, took it. And in the first way that Esau could get rid of his birthright, he did it. And so I think it's important that we have to understand what uh, the birthright is, because Esau despised it. So what is a birthright? The word is bakora. This is a, a Jewish term, the meaning being the leadership of the family and its mission of communicating and passing on ethical monotheism. Now, that's their defini- definition. Um, but has anybody ever been curious of what the difference between birthright and blessing is? What the, di- the difference being is that the birthright is that spiritual legacy that is being passed on. The legacy that was first brought into Abraham, and now Isaac has it, it's that eternal logos that pastor was speaking on this morning, that is being passed on from father to son, that legacy, that is the birthright. And it's, it is up to the firstborn to take on that mantle and to continue it 
through the family line. So now you can kind of see now why God hates Esau. Because Esau saw this mantle and didn't want to have anything to do with it. Now, I would venture to say this, that he, he devalued that birthright long before he was starving. That he probably didn't want it. He didn't want the responsibility. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so, when you could see in Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, it says, Get out of your country for your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless and make your name great. And you and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That blessing or that legacy is coming through, through Abraham and his family. And Isaac is trying to pass it on to his son, Esau. But Esau doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Esau is probably well aware of, the le- of this legacy. He has probably met his grandfather, Abraham. Isaac has probably instilled in him the importance of, of the, that blessing, of all the things that God has done for his, his father and for him, and now can do for Esau, and Esau is rejecting that. Esau does not want to have anything to do with that. The importance of their lineage, I'm sure, has been explained and stressed. These are grown men here. And they're about to take up the mantle of the family. They are about to pass, Isaac is about to pass on the promise of God to Esau. But Esau has no care for it. The vision and the legacy of his family and of God held no value to Esau. However, I can see where Isaac is, has a concern about Jacob. I can see that. Because Jacob's not really going to be a good provider. He doesn't think that. Maybe he's not going to be able to protect the family. And so Isaac's probably kind of looking at how, if he can't protect the family, how's he going to carry this thing? And that's why he kind of sees Esau, and I could see throughout Scripture, and I think you'll see it too, where Isaac is holding out hope for Esau. But Esau continues to show who he is. So now, in Genesis, uh, let's move on. Let's go to Genesis chapter 27, and we're going to talk about blessing. Genesis chapter 27, and verse 1 through 4. Now it came to pass, when Isaac was old and his eyes were, were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, I am now old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may, be blessed, may bless you before you die. And so, here he is trying to give Esau another chance. And I think Esau has this view that, well, I sold my birthright for a bowl of soup. Maybe I could get my blessing for another bowl of soup. But that's not how you get the blessing. Just because you think something's cheap doesn't mean God thinks something's cheap. And so, he's going out, but God's got a different plan. And so, in verse 8, 8 through 13, it says, Now therefore, my son, this is Rebekah talking, talking to Jacob. Obey my voice according to what, what I command you. Go to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food for them, for your father such as he loves. And then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. 
And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. See, Rebekah understood what was going on here. Now, I don't know if, if Rebekah had told Isaac of what the Lord said to her. That one, the younger would, the older would serve the younger. I don't know that. It, even if she did, it doesn't seem like Isaac received it very well because he's still trying to give this blessing to Esau. So what is the blessing? The bless, blessing is this world, Bekarat. It is the eldest son's double portion of land and property. It is the physical inheritance of the firstborn. Again, the idea being now he's becoming the patriarch. He is going to become the provider of the household. So now he's going to receive most of the wealth and property so that he can provide for that, for that property, for, for that household. But what Rebecca knows is that the blessing and the birthright go together. They are tied together. What good is property and money and wealth if you despise the birthright? The blessing is there so that you have the means to continue on that birthright. And Esau has already rejected this. And, and Rebecca sees that he's rejected it, and she knows what's going to happen if Esau gets this blessing. She knows what's going to happen. She has already seen what Esau is all about. In fact, it said, I won't read it. I have it in here, but I won't read it. But it's that Esau had already married Hittite women. He had already married the women of Canaan, something that was specifically told not to do. Isaac was sent away and told, I don't want you marrying the women of this land. You don't think that Isaac told Esau the same thing, that he didn't want him marrying the women of this land, and he had already done it. So Rebecca knows that as soon as, as he gets this property, he's just going to squander it. And there's going to be nothing left for the one, the son who has the birthright. And so she knows there's not going to be a curse. Esau's already cursed, that God's going to make this happen. Because Jacob saw the value of the birthright. Now all he needs is the provision in order to make that birthright happen. So I want to read in, in Genesis chapter uh, 27, 30 through 34 says, now, this is Esau, now he's come back. Uh, he's come back from, from getting the, uh, the, the meal ready. Now it came about, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of his father Isaac, that his brother came in from, from his hunting, and then he also made a delicious meal and brought it to his father, and he said to, to his father, let my father arise and eat of, the, of his son's games, game, that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, then who was it who hunted game and brought it to me? So I ate from it all of it before you came and blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me as well, father. So now he's really mad. We don't see this kind of reaction when he loses his birthright. But now that he's lost the money and the stuff, now he's angry. Now he's going to kill Jacob. 
See, whatever. If Jacob wants a birthright, go ahead and have it. But as soon as the money's off the table, now he's really mad and he's going to go after Jacob. And Rebecca knows this and sends him out. But later on, we see that uh, Isaac begins to change his mind about Jacob. And, he's, and he gathers him together and he sends him out to go to the Paddan Haram where he met Rebecca to get a wife. And now this is where Jacob begins to come into his birthright and Isaac is now passing that on to him. And so what does Esau do? Once he sees that Isaac has now, now fulfilled the blessing and the birthright to Jacob, Esau goes out and he goes and marries more Canaanite women. In fact, he... he uh, he uh, marries, um, hold on, let me go, let me find that scripture. I want to read that scripture. In Genesis chapter 28 and 6 through 9, it says, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take himself a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and God to Paddan Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father and Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and married, besides the wives that he had, Meleth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. So he goes and marries the wrong side. He marries the other side. Continual rejection of the birthright. So now you can kind of see why God hates Esau. Because Esau first hated him. God's hate just doesn't come out of nowhere. When you reject God's things, God rejects your things. And this is the hate that comes from God. And so where does that come with us? Where, where does that align with us? I want to read a couple really familiar scriptures here. Uh, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one son and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is that logos. This is that plan that God had from the beginning. This is the legacy that, that Esau is rejecting here. And in both these scriptures, it doesn't say just for God so loved. It says in this manner. God loved. And, and we have said that before. Many of our preachers here have made that have made that very clear. And the reason why I bring it up now is because it shows that God had this plan from the beginning. That this is the way that God demonstrates his love. That this is the way that God is, is showing his love to his church, to his people. But this does not seem to be good enough for the church anymore that we want to add to that, that we, want to, we don't really want that anymore. That's not, that kind of love isn't good enough. We want to add different definitions to love. We want to add or subtract from the, from the way God wants to do things. And in that adding and subtracting, we are rejecting the way God wanted it laid down. And in that rejection, we stand to be hated of God if we are not careful. I think of the, the rich young ruler when he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think it's really interesting that he says, what must I do to inherit? Not just what can I do to receive, what, not, much, what, not much what did I do, ugh, excuse me, to just get, 
but to inherit. And it's literally that word, allotment of inheritance. That eternal life is there for him. That is his birthright. But as we all know, Jesus says, hey, you have been blessed. You have lots of things. Now take that blessing and sell it so that you can provide for this birthright that I have for you of eternal life. And what happens? He rejects it because the blessing was more important to him than the birthright. Because the stuff was more important than the inheritance. And so this is a clear-cut way that God has hating someone. Now, how is that? Well, Jesus lets him walk away. And it doesn't say Jesus was sorrowful. It says the young man was sorrowful. It goes along the lines of the same kind of way we see Esau, that he is repenting with tears. But if somebody repents, doesn't that mean they should come to God? No. Because he couldn't do it. He couldn't change his mind. Esau couldn't change his mind, and this rich young ruler couldn't change his mind. Because he couldn't change his mind about the birthright. He wanted the blessing too much. He wanted the blessing so badly, and he just could not get himself to accept the birthright. And this is what happens with this rich young ruler, and Jesus just lets him walk. That is a demonstration of God's hate, that Jesus will let him walk and not go after him. Because if you don't value God's things, God's not going to make you do it. God's not going to plead with you. He's not going to show you the value. If you devalue, you like your stuff. If you, if you like blessing more than you want birthright, the inheritance of eternal life, the inheritance of Christ himself, then what is God going to do for you other than reject you? The American church has confused blessing with birthright. And as a result, has become ungrateful to the true birthright, the inheritance of Jesus Christ himself. Blessing is only the material possession to maintain and preserve the birthright for the future. And only God determines what that blessing is or how much it is or, what, what it's, or when you're going to need to sell it in order to get the birthright. But we're so caught up in blessing in this country. And I think it's an American thing. Because we're so prosperous, we think that our prosperity is our birthright. That that's, what, that that's our inheritance, is that we just, we're free and we're, we can do and, and we prosper and we have money. And that's just God's inheritance to America. But God has no inheritance for America. God has no birthright for Americans. He only has birthright for his people. And he's... And, and so blessings come and go, but the birthright is what we hold on to. And it is because Esau was ungrateful for what the house that he was born in, the opportunity that was given to him. He rejected that, and as a result, God hated him. And as a result of our hatred of God's things and our ungratefulness to what God wants to do in our lives, God is, can reject us too. In, in 2 Timothy 3, 3 uh, verse 2, it says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. 
Romans 1.21, because they knew God and did not glorify him as God, nor did they give thanks, so that they became destitute in their reasoning and became dull in their hearts without other understanding. All the dullness of heart and lacking of understanding all resulting from what? Ungratefulness, unthankfulness for what God has done. In Romans 8, 28 through 29, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew and also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. The purpose, our inheritance, is to be the image of Christ. It is not to get stuff. It is not to be blessed because if that's the case, then what happens? So if I have, if God blesses me with money and the economy seems to be going really well, I think a lot of us are really enjoying some prosperity right now. So does that mean God is loving us? And when that goes away, because it always does, it ebbs and flows, it comes and goes. Does that mean God hates us? No. Because a blessing has nothing to do with the birthright other than whatever God sees fit to help us continue our legacy in Jesus Christ. And some may take this meaning that God turns all the bad things into blessing. I'm talking about in Romans 8, 28, that God takes all these things, all the bad things, and he just, he just takes them and he just sprinkles them with fairy dust and they just all become good. No, it's just that God takes all our bad things that we have, all our bad, good and bad, the life that we've lived, and still brings us the opportunity of inheritance. And we'll call those things into good if, if we respond to the purpose of God. If we accept the birthright that is available to us, only then, are we going to receive any blessing from God once we accept that purpose and what, once we accept that birthright? With the birthright comes blessing, but without the birthright, you're cursed. I don't care how rich you are. You're cursed, you're rejected. I have pity on all of these politicians, you know, and we're, we're seeing it. They're grabbing power and they're getting money but that money is not going to take them past this life, and they are in for a world of hurt when this life is over. That that blessing isn't going with them. The only thing that's going with you is the birthright. And so, so as I close, I want you to consider this. As you're praying this week, I want you to think about that Romans 8, 28, verse 29 through 29. Think of the life that you've led and how it has brought you to this point, to this place, to this church. What was the meaning for all of that stuff to bring you here? What was the meaning behind all of that that God brought you here? Is it, it's because God has brought you into an inheritance, the inheritance of the body of Christ, the inheritance of the church of God. And so don't just shake that away. Don't just like, don't be ungrateful for that. It's a blessing. It is a birthright. It is something to be grateful for. That, yeah, things are not perfect here, but God is here. 
but God has brought us here. But God has called us here according to his purpose. And in that birthright, we find blessing. Amen? Amen. Pastor. Thank you, Brother Dusty. Wow, thank you for that good word.